Welcome into another edition of the Dana and Victory Podcast, special edition, commitment edition of the podcast. I'm with the legend Brian Snow. Brian, Xavier just landed a big piece for next year, or a potentially big piece for next year, certainly something they were after uh, as they needed shooting, and they got some shooting tonight. Landing graduate transfer Nate Johnson from Gardner-Webb, immediately eligible. He averaged 13.5 points per game last season as a junior at Gardner-Webb, and he shot 41.1% from three-point range on six attempts per game. Um, let's just start by breaking down his game. In, in terms of you know, the national landscape, there were some other high majors involved looking at Johnson. Where did he kind of stack up in terms of the guys that were available, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, he's a top 15, top 20 grad transfer available, and he certainly fills a very good role. Um, I don't think you're looking to him to be a top three option by any stretch of the imagination, but you're looking at saying, hey, he's shown he can knock down a shot and he's shown he can defend. And that's a role player at the high major level. And if you have a need for that role specifically, which Xavier clearly did, he was one of the best options, if not the best option available to you. So I think Xavier, Travis Steele really, really zeroed in on Johnson. I think, you know, he studied Jonah Antonio from UNLV, he studied Farron Flavors from Cal Baptist and Johnson. And I, he would have taken all three. Uh, but I think Nate Johnson was kind of the guy he said, I think this one's the best fit for us. And he was able to get him. Johnson, you know, let's talk about what he's not to start. Um, he's not a guy who's going to create a ton off the bounce and, and break you down and make a lot of plays or create for his teammates. He's not a setup man or an assist guy really at all. Um, and he's also not just a standstill shooter or a stiff and a guy who can't guard anybody. He's a, he's a good athlete. Uh, he's got some nice highlight reel plays. I don't think that type of stuff will really transfer to what he's going to do at Xavier. Um, what he's going to be asked to do is to shoot and knock down three-pointers, fit in on the offensive end, and then hopefully he'll be able to hold his own on the defensive end. Um, you know, talking about his shot, he doesn't have the quickest release, but he's, you know, he has really good footwork and uh, does a really good job moving without the ball. He comes off screens really well. He understands how to kind of read the defense and, and the guy that's setting the screen for him when he's curling, things like that. Um, he sets himself up really well to be ready to shoot when he catches the ball, and he's very aggressive. But he also has good shot selection. I spent most of the day um, watching his his synergy highlights and, and going through all his offensive possessions from this past season. And that was one of the things that really stuck out to me is for a guy who's as aggressive as he is, shooting six threes a game, about ten shots a game, he doesn't force a lot of bad shots. And the ones that he does force are usually coming on the back end of after he's hit one or two or three in a row to, to kind of get that, that heat check going. Yeah, I mean, in terms of what his role is, I would say he's kind of a cross between Kyle Castlin and Javen Cumberland. In that, I mean, Kyle Castlin was a good defender. He wasn't a great defender, but he was a good defender. And he was a versatile defender with some size. I think Nate Johnson's that. Um, he's probably a tick better athlete than Kyle was. Um, maybe not as, not as strong, maybe not, maybe an inch or so shorter, but um, you know, he, he can hold his own defensively. I, I've talked to a couple coaches who played against Gardner Webb this year and th they said, you know, he'll be fine defensively in the Big East. You know, he's not going to be Najee Marshall, but he's more than capable of guarding a good player. And then on the offensive end, you know, a guy like Javen Cumberland this year for Cincinnati, you know, 
he shot. That that's all really he did, and all he really could do. And sure, you know, if you attack him, attack Nate Johnson wildly, he he can go by you if you've got a bad closeout. But that that's not what he's going to be. He's going to be either catch and shoot, one dribble, reset and shoot, or come off a screen and shoot. I mean, he he's just not going to be someone you're asking to create in any way. So what you have is you have a solid piece defensively, maybe an above average defender, and what you hope is an above average to good three-point shooter. Yeah, You mentioned his one dribble relocate, and that was probably the thing that stuck out to me the most. As I was watching him on film, he is great at eyeing the rim after a catch and give, he just eyes it for an extra second that lulls a defender into thinking he's definitely shooting it. They fly out at him. He takes either a side dribble or a dribble in to a mid range jumper and does that one dribble pull up or one dribble sidestep three. Uh, very good at resetting and shooting like that. And I think that's his best weapon. But again, he doesn't use that to blow by guys or destroy closeouts and, and get to the rim. And in fact, you know, watching him try to finish it doesn't look like something he's very comfortable with he's not a big strong guy he's a he's a pretty good athlete um you know he has a couple like tip dunks and and oops and things like that uh where on a breakaway he can give you a highlight real play but he's not a guy who's really going to drive in you know finish through contact or anything like that it's it's mostly you know the occasional mid-range leaner or or floater something like that but other than that it's going to be lots of three-pointers and then one dribble pull-ups or one dribble uh, sort of step-backs, things like that, where he's relocating uh, against a closeout. Um, and, you know, defensively, he he usually defended one of the opposing team's best players um, in the Big South Conference, and, and he did a good job of it. You know, in terms of the synergy efficiency numbers, he graded out as Gardner-Webb's top defender. Now, what that means, advanced metrics for defense are kind of a mess in the sport of basketball, but even still, you know, watching him on film, he's a good enough athlete and it, it, he at least cares on the defensive end. He's not like a selfish guy who's like, I'm just here to get my shots up and I really don't care what happens on that end of the court. Yeah, I mean, again, I think he could be a Paul Scruggs type level defender, which is an above average defender. It's not a great one. Yeah, I think that's right. And you were uh, talking about comparisons um, in terms of like graduate transfers. You know, I thought watching him, there were. It kind of compared to watching Bryce Moore last year around this time. Now, I think he's better. He's more dynamic offensively. He definitely makes tougher threes than Bryce did in terms of shooting off the catch, curling around screens with guys in his face, you know, from a couple feet behind the line, some stuff that I don't think Bryce really did. Um, and, and I mentioned this again, I wrote about a lot of this detail on musketeerreport.com, the impact article I put up this evening, but the thing that I like about Nate that I think transfers maybe a little bit better than it did for some of the other quote unquote shooters that you got from the low major levels is he's not a knock every three pointer that he gets down type of guy. Like if he's wide open, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going in. He's, it's not every single time, but he gets hot and he can hit eight in a game. And when he gets hot like that, he did it twice last year uh, where he hit eight in a game. When he gets hot like that, you can't really guard him. I mean, he's, he's hitting fadeaways and step backs and things where he's making a lot of tough shots that translates at any level. You know, he can get that shot off. And I think that's, um, that's a good sign for Xavier in terms of things that will translate to the Big East level. And you say that, I, I think that's interesting because what I think you're going to have is a couple games this year where, you know, Nate's not making anything. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to put CJ Wilcher in and say, well, it's your turn to make something. Right. And then CJ Wilcher's a freshman. He ain't going to be consistent shooting threes. That That's just unrealistic. And when he's in an 0 for 10 type of funk, you have Nate Johnson. You're saying, hey, Nate, this is your time, my man. 
So I think it gives Xavier some options at the, not that a shooter is a position, but in that role where like, hey, we have to have a shot maker, you know, one of you two better find a way. We don't need both of you, but one of you two better find a way. Right. And and I want to talk about, you know, where he fits in in terms of minutes and lineup and things in a second. But it just in terms of like what you could do if you're desperate for threes at the end of the game or something. Also, you can put a, a lineup on the court that includes like uh, a Nate Johnson, a Paul Scruggs, a Kiki Tandy, um, a CJ Wiltshire and, and a Jason Carter or something or a Zach Fremantle. And you've got four or five guys that can all knock down the three, whereas last year. You just couldn't even come close to putting out a lineup where everyone could make a shot. Um, so it's, it definitely is a different look and he adds depth in terms of the, the skill and, and the shot maker position on this roster. Now, in terms of where he fits in, Brian, do you see him as a potential starter on this team or do you think he's definitely coming off the bench? I, I think he could start. I mean, I, I don't know that he will, but I mean, I think you're going to look at a guy whose minutes are going to rank between fifth and eighth. And does that mean he starts? Does that mean he comes off the bench? You know, I don't know for sure. I don't think anybody does. But that, I think that's reasonable is 15 to 25 minutes. Um, and then, you know, six to eight points a game, maybe a couple rebounds a game. And then an above average defender. Anybody who sees him averaging 13.5 points a game at Gardner-Webb and thinks he's averaging 13.5 game, points a game at Xavier's out of their damn mind. So keep in per- Keep in perspective what he is. He's a, you know, he can be a fifth, your fifth starter. He can be your sixth man. He can, you know, be your your second perimeter off the bench maybe. But he's not going to be a go-to guy. And that's not what they even wanted realistically. They, they knew they needed someone who can knock down a shot and play a role. And that role is, hey, you know, Kiki Tandy's going to get buckets. Paul Scruggs is going to lead the team in minutes. Jason Carter is a proven player. Zach Fremantle, proven player. Okay, who can be the fifth guy? Who can be the sixth guy? Who can be the seventh guy? And who's going to provide leadership and a veteran presence? And that that's what he is. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you, you didn't want to find yourself in a position where you were ruffling feathers, bringing in some high-volume guy that, you know, unless he was super talented, obviously, and was going to change yeah. the level of your team altogether. But you didn't want to bring in s- some high-volume shooter um, who was going to disrupt chemistry and, and put you in a bad spot. And Nate is definitely not that. In fact, he's, he's kind of a low-usage shooter for how many threes he takes per game. And when you look at that Gardner-Webb team, granted, he averaged 13.5 points per game. But he was the third leading scorer on that team. They had four different guys that were averaging over 13 points per game. So a kind of unique situation there when you look at the the construction of their roster. Yeah, and he, I think he was, I think I looked in Big South play. I think he was number six in offensive officiate, uh, offensive rating on Ken Pomp. Um, yeah, no, obviously sense. that's big. That, that's Big South play. Uh, that's that's not the Big East. But you know he he was efficient. And which means he didn't turn it over much, which means he made a lot of the shots he took. It doesn't mean he was one of the five or six best players in the Big South, but it just means, you know, he can be efficient in a role. And that's exactly what they're looking for. Um, Brian, let's talk about what this means for Xavier's recruiting efforts on the grad transfer slash transfer circuit right now. Um there were a lot of other guys they were in on it and had put in offers to or were mentioned as being interested in in terms of grad transfers. Who does this clearly eliminate now, in your opinion? 
I'd say you can take Farron Flavors totally off the board, and you can take Jonah Antonio totally off the board. Antonio was the grad transfer from UNLV. Flavors, the grad transfer from Cal Baptist. Um, those guys were the role shooters that Xavier was recruiting along with Nate Johnson. So uh, you, they're not going to take both of them. It, it wouldn't make sense for the kids or for Xavier. So you can take them completely off the board. And looking at who they might still be interested in, who do you think are still the priorities out there in terms of grad transfers? Uh, well, first thing that needs to be said is Justin Turner, if they can get, if Xavier can get him, and I don't think anyone's betting on the Musketeers right now. If Z- But, you know, they're in the top six, depending on who you listen to, maybe even the top four. Um, you know, if they can get somehow pull off Justin Turner, he would be the best player on Xavier's roster. The grad transfer from Bowling Green. So guess what? You're not telling him no. Um, so he's definitely available. And then, you know, they're going to look at some grad transfer bigs. Um, we can go into them in a second. In terms of perimeters, I think in terms of traditional transfers, Trey Wirtz from from uh, Santa Clara is definitely still in the mix. Jamarius Burton from Wichita State is definitely still in the mix. And um, I would say I would say those two certainly, along with um, Justin Turner, are are still ones you could look at in terms of perimeters. And then you know more names could pop up. Let's be honest. Uh, I mean, an average of about thirty forty guys going to the portal every day. Yeah, I mean we're not slowing down anytime soon, and especially with the weirdness going on in terms of everybody having to leave campus and all of this coronavirus stuff and. It's created different situations at every school and, and for a lot of different individual players. So there are going to be definitely some guys coming on the market late this year, um, later than usual, I think, too. So I, I, I think you'll re, you'll continue to see Xavier remain active. Brian, how many more spots do you think we're looking at? One or two? I, I think that's safe. You know, Travis doesn't want 13 on the roster. Uh, I, I know fans kind of look at him like, well, why would you not? And the reason is, is realistically in college basketball at best you can keep nine guys happy so if you have 13 guys who are eligible to play that means four are unhappy that's not the ratio you're looking for and realist and to be honest of those nine eight are only happy and then the ninth guy's just not quite unhappy so you, you want a far better ratio of happy to unhappy than that um so if you've only got two guys unhappy that they're not playing very much, you can deal with that. You can work around it. Um, so, so that's the theory. And, you know, Jay Wright at Villanova. I mean, I think Villanova only had eight eligible bodies playing this year, quite honestly. I, I think they only had nine scholarship guys on the roster and one of them – or ten scholarship guys on the roster, one redshirted and one was a transfer. And, and then one Brian Antoine didn't even play. And they were looking so, at two like, seed? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's just how Jay, Jay Wright fully believes in it. And, you know, Thad Mata, he always used to say, like, I'm only playing eight guys, so what's the point of having 13? Uh, so, th- you know, th- there's a lot to be said for that. So I would say Xavier will only add one, two guys. Now, you know, if you got sit-out guys, that, that changes the equation a little bit. But, you know, maybe a, another front court guy, and then if Justin Turner magically chooses Xavier, you know, you, you go with him. You mentioned the sit-out transfers, and we've talked about this, I think, on the previous podcast and certainly on the message board, but it, it bears repeating because it keeps coming back up. 
what do you, you talk to a lot of people in, around college basketball too, and this is an evolving situation. So I'd like to hear if you, if you've, uh, heard anything new on the topic of that rule, whether or not transfers, you know, traditional transfers will be allowed to play immediately or if they'll have to sit out this coming season. You know, that's what's interesting. They keep pushing the vote back. I guess it was it was set for April and now it's June. Uh, or at least theoretically the vote will be in June. The vote will go through to give a one-time free transfer. That's going to happen. Um I've talked to ADs about it and Quite honestly, I, I don't know how many people understand this or know this, but you only have to sit out if you transfer in for a year in men's basketball, women's basketball, football, I think hockey, and then like one other women's sport. And it just so happens that of those scholarship athletes, about 80 of 80% of them are minority. Whereas the sports like golf, swimming, tennis, what it, what it, I don't know exactly all the sports that fall into each bucket, but you get you catch my drift. They don't have to sit out if they transfer, and it's like eighty to eighty five percent white, and it's just a really bad look to have one set of rules for sports that are dominated by minorities and a totally different set for sports that are dominated by white athletes. And I think ADs are feeling pressure, and in my opinion, rightfully so, to uh, come up with a little bit better solution than that. The uh, Dana and Victory podcast super woke tonight on the transfer <laughs> edition. Um, in terms of traditional, more traditional transfers, are there any names out there that Xavier fans should currently have their eye on? You know, like I said, Jamarius Burton still in the mix. Trey Wirtz from uh, Santa Clara still in the mix. Th- those would be the two that immediately come to mind for me that I, I think Xavier's on. You know, I did a story. You know, Jalen Tate. He's not a sit. He's not a sit out transfer, but Xavier contacted him. I, I just don't see that being a fit. He's a more than good enough player, but not the right fit for what Xavier needs. You you can speak to Jalen more as a player than I can, but. Um, I, I mean, I think it, you know, he's kind of, uh, would sort of fit in that poor man's Jamarius Burton role, right? Where you could say he's a wing because that's what he came in as. He's 6'5, he's a versatile defender, but he would also give you insurance at the point guard position without setting off alarms for Duan Odom or Kiki Tandy because he's played point guard for NKU the last two years. Now, that being said, I, I don't think he's the direction Xavier really wants to go in right now because they're trying to improve their skill and feel, things of that nature. And, uh, He's more of like a erratic, kind of a Paul Scruggs type point guard. He's a little more erratic, turns the ball over, but plays hard. And, you know, his through playing hard and, and just sheer effort and talent, the good outweighs the bad. But you have to take a lot of turnovers and some sloppy things along with that. So I don't see that being the move that, that Xavier wants to make here, to be honest. And, and it's hard for me to believe he would be going anywhere other than UC and Ohio State. And from what I understand, Ohio State isn't really interested. So... Uh, yeah, Ohio State. Ohio State's at thirteen right now. Um, Caleb Wesson almost assuredly is going to the draft, which will put him at twelve. But once they took Seth Towns, they also couldn't. They need if they take to get to thirteen, it'll be a guard, like a true guard, and one with multiple years of eligibility. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't see him ending up anywhere other than than UC, to be honest. The only other school randomly I could see is West Virginia. You know, Dad played for Hugs. It's close to home. I don't know if West Virginia has any interest, 
but I, I could imagine that one. But I tend to think UC is probably the uh, the best bet right now. Yep. All right, Brian. Um, just in terms of the coronavirus stuff overall, how do you think this is impacting? things across the board for teams in terms of recruiting have you been getting any feedback from coaches on on how they see see things playing out or if it's making things tougher or easier in certain situations you know it's making them have to make some uncomfortable decisions i think do you know do you press on a kid without being able to see him in the spring and try to get a commitment done now where you might not know him quite as well as you'd hope do you, do you play it out and just hope he doesn't commit somewhere else? Uh, it, it's uncharted waters. So far, the dam has not broken in college basketball. It has in football. Um, kids are just committing left and right in football, um, even without seeing campuses. In college basketball, for high school kids, it has not happened yet. I think that's coming soon. I don't know when soon is, but um, – once it becomes more and more obvious that things are not opening up on April 15th and outside of one person in this country who holds a very powerful position, everyone seems to realize that April 15th is not realistic. Um, I think you'll start seeing kids once schools announce, hey, we're, you know, recruiting ban till May 1st, recruiting ban till June 1st, whatever it may be. I think you'll start to see more kids say, all right, screw this. I want to get this over with. Time to make my my announcement. Do you think we're going to see a big run on like once a couple of kids start committing in in a little cluster that all of a sudden a lot of other guys will be like, well, I don't want to lose my spot, so I'm going to go ahead and commit too? Yeah, I I think that's how it'll work. And no one wants to be the first one, you know? So I I think it's kind of going to come down that way. That's that's interesting. Uh, How important is, just give fans an idea, how important this April recruiting period live evaluation period typically is for college coaches to get out and, and see these kids it's huge i mean just just look at xavier you know last year at the, you know on this date last year they had no freaking idea who colby jones was like zero clue and they saw him pro i think by act i don't think they were going to watch colby jones i think they were watching another player who was playing against colby jones and said hey this is a guy we really want and they were able to recruit him and build a relationship and get him. Um, and that that's not a unique story. It's just one our listeners will be familiar with. And also, you know, now Xavier's a little bit different. Travis is very active recruiting during the season, both himself and making – I don't want to say making, but his assistants going out and making evaluations. Um, not all schools are that way. Like I'm here to tell you like, you know, Coach K is not going out very much during the – during the high during the college season to watch high school kids. That ain't really his deal. John Calipari, not really his deal. So, you know, so, and those are obviously high profile, but a, a lot of coaches fall into that mold, especially head coaches. And they use April as the time to really make strong evaluations on a kid. And now that doesn't exist. All right. Well, I think we will talk more about, you know, recruiting names and where things are headed as maybe we get a little bit clearer of idea. We, we start to hear more more rumblings. Um, but I, Rick, I think- one thing I want to mention, and because we haven't mentioned his name yet. Yeah. Carly Jones will not be recruited by Xavier. OK, well, there you go. Local uh, former Aiken point guard who's transferring from Radford and, uh, you know, Xavier's name was mentioned initially. Do you have a, a feel for where you think might be in the lead for him? I, I think Louisville's going to have a really good shot at him. Uh, I think Maryland's going to have a good shot at him. 
but I, I don't know for sure. I just know, like, I think Xavier institutionally came to the decision, like, we have our young guards. We're not taking a senior guard who can only play point guard. And, you know, as much as they freely recognize that Carleek would help them this year and that he's more than good enough, it's simply not worth the long-term hit that it might cause to have him take significant minutes away from Dewan Odom and Kiki Tandy. Fair enough. I, I think that makes sense. Um, Brian, is there anything else in terms of, you know, recruiting or the coronavirus situation or the grad transfers or transfers that uh, you want to discuss before we get into uh, some off the beaten path questions from the message board that were uh, that people want you to answer? Probably should say, you know, they, they do want to add a grad transfer big. There's going to be a few names thrown out there. Um, Chavez Goodwin, I believe is his name from Wofford is certainly a name that, you know, might, might be to look, might be one to look at. I I think Xavier's really interested in him, but again, the big they're going to bring in isn't necessary. You know, they're not going after Reed Travis that that's not happening. They're going to go after a guy who can be the second or third big and, you know, and it could be a four man too, because you could slide Jason Carter to the five. You know, just kind of a, a role front court player. And I, I think they would like to add one of those. And, you know, there's going to be names thrown around. All right. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. Let's get into some of these questions from the message board. And uh, we'll start with any memorable I told you so moments as a recruiting analyst where you saw talent in a kid a lot of people overlooked. Man. The Chad Brendel special, we call that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I don't have that like Brendel did. That's for damn sure. Um, God, let's go to a next one while I think about that one. Okay, any takes that turned out to be particularly freezing as a recruiting analyst? Oh God, way too many. Um, I didn't think Desmond Bain could play dead in a cowboy movie, and I think he might play in the NBA. He's the wing who's at TCU. Uh, like I just. Did not see it with him, and that would go down as a miss. They weren't recruiting him to act. I mean, yeah, I'm just saying. I didn't think he could play dead, Um, and he's he can play basketball really well. That's for damn sure. Um, I thought Adrian Graves would score 1,200 points at Xavier. He came slightly short of that. Um, I think you've been reminded of that one a few times over the years. Yeah, specifically by Sean Miller. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean. There's a lot that, dear God, like Jermaine Lawrence, who went to UC, I thought there was no chance he wouldn't play in the NBA. He couldn't play dead. Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of those. Take your pick. Did you uh, think of uh, a kid that other people overlooked that you liked or no? Not yet. I haven't done that yet. Okay. Uh, as someone who presumably looks at a lot of message board posts across a variety of teams, what are some of the weirdest or most outlandish posts you've seen, Snow? <laughs> and I brought this up, so I have no problem saying it. But like, you know, I go to Peaks, which is the Indiana board, and if they win a game, it's like, oh my god, we're never losing again. And then if they lose a game, it is, oh my god, there's no chance this team will ever win again. Fire the coach. Yeah, fire the coach. And it's Try like, people, players. there's there's a little bit of room in between this. Little bit of room in between these two things, especially in the Big Ten. Yeah. It's it's just bizarre how like bipolar it gets over there. So that that would be one. Um, then of course, anytime you know a kid commits to a school and it turns out like 
you know, oh, they cheated for him. Like, no, no, they really didn't. You know, they they didn't cheat for him. Shut up. That that stuff gets old quick. But yeah, I mean, I would say I would say that, you know, is definitely definitely the case. The one thing Ooh, oh, just thought of one. OK, Norris Cole. He was being recruited by all Division two schools. And I actually he was being recruited by Division two schools and NAIA schools. And I could not figure out why. And I kept saying this dude might be able to play high major. I wasn't totally convinced Norris Cole could play high major, but I said he might be able to. And and ultimately, he turned himself into an NBA player. Well, I mean, that's that's a pretty good one. Mine's not that good. It's just Drew McDonald. Okay. I mean, I think I think I get I deserve credit for everyone being like, "How is this kid going to play Division three basketball, much less a beer league softball team?" And he became the all time leading scorer in NKU's history. That was not bad. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Uh. Anyway, uh, this one is a pretty good one to finish on uh, from this individual poster. Favorite moment from the Dana and Victory podcast? Is it Michi something? <laughs> no, that's not. I don't think that's my favorite. Though. That's pretty good. <laughs> Michi something is a recurring theme on this podcast. Um, I think one of the hardest times we've ever laughed is when uh, Dan said I looked like I was in Wild Bill's sex dungeon. <laughs> Um, Dan's, God, that's frightening. Dan's cat is, uh... Oh, Dan's cat. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. No. We were recording after Xavier beat Villanova at home, like, Makura's sophomore year, when Makura played really well. Yeah, Rob, Doster Rob Doster's off. wife almost killed him <laughs> on air. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. We didn't get to hear enough of that, though. Like, that continued off air, from what I understand. <laughs> didn't go well for Rob. <laughs> Took an L on that one for the Dane and Victory podcast. RIP in peace, Rob. Um, <laughs> there, there are some good ones over the years. How about the fact that I think like the second or third podcast ever was after the SF Terp situation? Oh god! Like, when we were brand new to the game, and we're like, "All right, let's break this down." <laughs> I mean, it, it really might have been. I'm almost positive it was within our first four. It might have been the second one. It was <laughs> that had to be wonderful. New. It was very new. I don't know if it's out there somewhere. I don't think it is. Um, but I need to go back and find it in my files because I'd love to see how delicately Dan and I addressed that situation. Um, <laughs> I, do you have any others that you need to get in here? I, oh, the <laughs> another pretty good one was when you had someone staying at your house um, got up to use the restroom in the middle, or Dan got up to use the restroom <laughs> in the middle. You started talking to someone in your house randomly, and it I was left. it was uh, Anna Hickey who runs our Clemson site. Yeah, sure it was. And uh, no, so <laughs> hold on, let me explain. So there's no misconceptions here. She was moving from Indianapolis to South Carolina because she was changing jobs within the company, and like her lease ran out on one day, and she couldn't get into a house in South Carolina for like a month. So like I never go upstairs in my house. So I'm like, yeah, Anna, you can stay up there. I don't care. And uh, she just like comes down and starts talking, and you you and Dan are like, "Who is that?" I'm like, shut up. Yeah, that was an interesting situation. And then I just didn't cut it out of the podcast. I absolutely no. You just were like, "Let's roll with it." I, well, no, I, I I mean, I did cut it out of the podcast, and I I, I edited it and and 
like outputted a new file, but then I uploaded the original file on accident <laughs> the first time and until people alerted me that Dan's urination is on a podcast. And I was like, well, we probably need to probably need to fix that because Dan's a distinguished, upstanding citizen in our community. Um, uh, Snow, what about former players we'd be surprised to know came dangerously close to transferring from Xavier? Um, probably the best one would be Jonathan, or I don't know if the best one, but the one that was most low key would be Jonathan Paul Makura after his freshman year. That would have stung. Yeah. Um, you know, Rick Carter recruited him. Rick left. I don't don't know that JP's parents were thrilled with his role as a freshman and it got a little dicey there. Um, that said, you know, basically every kid almost transfers. Uh, D. Davis once said, if Samaje comes back, I'm not coming back. Mm. Um, I think the Sean O'Mara one was pretty well known, right? Yeah, I don't think people would be surprised about that. It was almost every year. Yeah. But yeah, I'd say Jonathan Paul would probably be the one that would most people would be like, wow, he really thought. Yeah, it, it, came, it got dicey. It got dicey. Um, Snow, we need some up. Some thoughts on the upcoming season for the Reds and Bengals. Uh, I don't know if that's a good idea, considering we don't even know if the Reds are going to have a season. My thoughts are, I hope they play. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's go with that one. Someone needs my review of Dana Garden's Spicy Balls. Um, they were what really- is a spicy ball? So it was really, really good. It was, I, I think, just like some type of spicy cheese, melted cheese. And then deep fried breading around that. Um, it's kind of smaller than I expected. I thought it was going to look like a hush puppy, but it was like, um, I don't know, a little marble sized thing. Maybe a little bit bigger than that. Ping pong ball. That's nah, too okay. big. It was good though. It was really good. Dipped it in ranch. Nice. Uh, the burger was excellent too. I got the musky. Dana's was, was good. Definitely support them. What ex freshman do you think will have the biggest impact next year? I, I keep saying, uh, Colby Jones and I'm going to stick with that. Um, I think he's the most college ready physically. I think he's the most college ready mentally. And he's at a position where Xavier just doesn't have a guy like him on the roster in terms of a big wing who can play either forward spot. So I'm going to say Colby Jones. Yeah, I'm kind of annoyed that you've taken this stance because I thought that was going to be kind of like my my kind of sneaky take this year going into the years that Colby Jones might be might have a bigger impact than Dwan Odom would. Um, that being said, I think Dwan Odom is still a, a safe pick. I think there's a very good chance that he's the best freshman that Xavier has. And while there are obviously other guards, um, I, I think there's a good chance that he could find his way, you know, potentially even like a two Holloway situation where he ends up starting uh, midway through the year. It wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't um, surprise me in the least. Yeah. Snow. Oh, uh, that's. I don't. I don't really want to do top five movies. Do you want to give me the top thing you've watched during quarantine? Because I don't want to know your top five movies. That's too long. You first of all, that that'd be short because I think I've only seen like five movies. Um, Not a movie guy. No. Quarantine. Well, I I figured out the whole Netflix thing. My bro, you know, I I better not in, implicate anybody. But I figured out the whole Netflix thing. Good God. You and sound so uh, old. Dude, I am a technological idiot. I would say um, I watched the like the I don't know if documentary is the right word, but documentary on like tracking the Unabomber. And I thought that was really interesting. 
I uh yeah, I actually want to watch that one. I haven't gotten to it yet. I uh did the whole Tiger King thing. Did you do that yet? Everyone keeps telling me and I keep looking at it like I just don't know. Yeah, I, I it's not worth 7 episodes, but it is it is kind of, you know, I I said this other place. It's like a car crash. You can't you can't turn away once you start watching it. It is incredibly ridiculous. Um and then I I I was catching up on Ozarks, the finishing off season 2. I had never finished that off because season three just came out yesterday so see like i'm in a much better place for quarantine than like a lot of people because like i've never seen a second of game of thrones i've never really seen a second of narcos i don't even know what ozarks is like i got some stuff i can watch have you seen the wire not enough Oh yeah, yeah. You should do the wire. The best part about the wire is it's so much better once you've seen all of it. Like, okay, the 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 whole is better than the sum of the parts, or whatever that saying is. It's it's actually true about that show. Um, Snow status and prediction of Daniel Ramsey, and who would you guys think leads the team in scoring next year? Um, with Daniel Ramsey, I'm not a doctor. I have no earthly idea. Um, he couldn't stay healthy this year. That's obviously not a good sign, but. I don't know if it's a permanent thing or not. So I'm going to refrain from pulling something out of my backside. I'm neither a doctor nor a uh, infectious disease specialist. I'm one of the rare people in America. Leading score, uh, Kiki Tandy. Hmm. I think I'm going to go for leading score. I think I'm, I'm going to go Dark Horse Zach Fremantle here. Ooh. Uh, That's just because he shot the ball 36 times in the last game he played. Well, again, that kind of is influencing my decision. I won't deny that, but I'm still sticking by it. As for Daniel Ramsey, I just think it's hard to believe he's going to make an impact this coming season. Even if he is physically healthy, I mean, he basically had his freshman year washed out. So, I mean, yeah, he didn't like he's going to get a red shirt, but he did not red shirt. He couldn't get better this year. Yeah, it wasn't like Deontay Miles situation where he was clearly improving and and learning and and getting a lot of reps and everything. It just it was kind of a waste of a year for Ramsey. And and that sucks, obviously. But um, I I just find it hard to believe that he's going to be an impact player this year as a redshirt freshman. Um, uh, We'll talk about 2021 recruiting in in another podcast and certainly on the premium message board at musketeerreport.com. Someone was asking about that on the the board um we'll we'll talk more as we go on but right now it's just honestly not really worth getting into things are so up in the air uh with the coronavirus tons of names um and and we'll get more into that as we go on uh snow someone wants to know how your foster dog is he's awesome he is literally uh scared the living crap out of me today actually so i went to go pick up a sub at jersey mike's and uh you know, he, he, he's been good, so I can leave him out. I don't have to put him in a crate if I leave. And usually he doesn't leave the couch. So I walk in from Jersey Mike's, you know, probably 20 minutes later. This dog is nowhere to be found. Nowhere. I am searching everywhere in my house, looking under beds. There's neighbors who have been out, and I ask them if they've seen him run away, and which would have made no sense because he literally would have had to open the door and close it, which typically dogs can't do. But I'm freaking the hell out. And then – so I'm looking everywhere. And somehow he he goes upstairs, gets into a closet that I haven't looked in in like six months and managed to lock himself in the closet. And I was just scared to death I had lost this dog somehow. That's impressive. Yeah. 
I don't think he is. the humane people look too fondly upon people who lose their dogs, though. Yeah, I was like scared. Like, how do I call these people and tell them I lost a foster dog? Mm, not a- uh, but in all, in all seriousness, like amazing dog. If anyone has the need for a uh, a boxer mix type of dog, this guy, Kermit from the Indianapolis Humane Society is amazing. Um, it's a great experience if you are, I don't want to say bored, but if you're looking for something to do, fostering a dog this time of uh, of our history is a great way to go about it, and I simply cannot recommend it enough. <laughs> this is an interesting question. What's the backstory on how Snow and Steel met? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it was something called the Adidas Rising Future Star Camp. Um, now we don't know how old Travis was, but I was 21 and it was being run by some guys with Indiana. And Travis actually a Juco coach at whatever Juco he was at. This was just before he got hired in Indiana under Kelvin Sampson. And naturally, cause Travis always runs late. He was running late and, he sits down next to me and he goes, Hey, what did I miss? And we were just going over like teams and meeting like organization stuff. And from then on, we just kept talking. So that's how it started. All right. What was your guys' second date? Our second date? Oh, it was far, far better than that. Uh, I don't remember. All right. Fair enough. Um, this next question I uh, I think I know why this person is asking. I'm assuming they listened to the Skinny podcast and they heard how frustrated I got with one Richard Skinner about this situation. The thing is, I won't get as frustrated with Snow because I already know he's a waste of a fat person. He doesn't like any good food. Um, he eats like a five-year-old and is totally picky. But Snow, do you like Geta? Geta? Yeah. Never had it, right? I'm, I'm, it's a cheese, right? Good God. Just stop. No, it's uh, like pork and oats mixed together into like a breakfast meat. It's uh, like poor food people rations food, but it's good. It's really good. Okay, again, like I thought it was a cheese. Yeah, yeah, you're total waste. I mean, I just do not understand how uh, you eat the things you eat and you look the way you do. just doesn't make sense to me. Um, <laughs> it's a gift. I don't know what to tell you. How does the Latonia Big Lots parking lot look during social isolation? <laughs> uh, I got nothing creative to say or, or witty to say about that. Um, I assume it looks the same as it does always, just shirtless and uh, jorted up. <laughs> God, we need, we need a documentary on this. Yeah, and be very similar to the uh, Tiger King situation, I believe, um, especially with Dan's cat. Any big man grad transfers that would be at the top of Steele's list seems pretty barren. Uh, you kind of already addressed that, but one more time, do you know of any big big men that are on the uh, grad transfer portal? Yeah, w- one that definitely keep in mind, like I said, Sh- I think it's Chavez Goodwin, Chevy Goodwin, something like that from Wofford. He- he's got an offer from Xavier. They like him. Uh, he would be certainly a name to monitor. All right. Uh, Snow, that is the the final question on the message board. I think we got to pretty much all of them, except for the one or two that I just didn't feel like uh, sitting through your answer on. Um, anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap up this podcast? Can you watch old games? Nope, not at all. Hate it. Can't stand it. Doesn't help me at all. 
like I like I just can't do it. I think I could get into this whole concept of like the players and coaches involved live tweeting old games if we were doing this under normal circumstances during like an off season or something just to kind of pass the time. But to do it when we got March Madness ripped away from us like this, it just doesn't for whatever reason, it just makes me even more frustrated about what yeah, happened. Yeah, like people were getting all excited about the Duke late Duke uh, Kentucky game from ninety two and I'm like Yeah. Like I know what happens. Well, and, and the, the Xavier Kansas State thing was big in the, the Xavier social media community yesterday. I saw, you know, uh, Jordan Crawford was on there, Dante Jackson, Mario Mercurio were all live tweeting about the game as it was being replayed. And admittedly, that's like cool stuff. That's good content. Um, kudos to them do it for doing it. Me personally, I just can't sit through old games right now. I, I got to occupy my time with something else. Like I can watch like old Tyson fights. That's, I'll be honest. Like, that's a bit different. Yeah. And again, um, under normal circumstances, I would probably be fine with it. It's not like I've never watched like an ESPN Classic game before, or at least parts of it. But right now, I just can't do it. It makes me frustrated. Yeah, because no, that, that seems to be a problem. Be... Yeah, I, I just don't know. What what what's your kind of go to on Netflix? Um, like I well, we do some like uh, stand up comedy in the background occasionally. Like if I'm working or uh, if we're not like locked in. And then other than that, I like any of the popular series. Um, West Wing is my favorite show of all time. So if you've never watched that, I would get into that. The Wire is, is top top two or three for me as well. Um, those are my favorite shows, I would say. House of Cards, loved the first two seasons after that got ridiculous, but I still watched and enjoyed it. It's kind of where Interesting. I'm yeah. Interesting. Just got to do a little crowdsourcing. Yeah, I watched um, The Stranger, a, a new one that just came out. Um, I think that was on Netflix, either that or Amazon, and that was good. Enjoyed that. I was surprised by it. Oh, good question. Percentage of college basketball coaches that get divorced in September? Man, that's a good question. Uh, I tell you what, a lot of them are just finding out what it's like to be parents. I know that just from texting a yeah. few uh, recently. Yeah. I was but, like, well, this has got to be great. You get to spend time with your family and everything. They're like, dude, being a dad is hard. <laughs> Like, I was like, well, this has got to make it easier for you. And they're like, what? No, I have to be with my kids and my wife all day. It's not easy at all. I'm like, well, I I, I thought, you know, like, easier to be a dad. I'm like, well, no, I, I kind of preferred it the way it was before. <laughs> we, we had a good we, we had a good setup going. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I'm sure their family feels the exact same way about them. So, Oh, guaranteed. Okay, just get back on the road. Go recruit. Yeah. Like, I, don't I will never complain about you recruiting again. You've been listening to another edition of the Data Victory Podcast, only available on musketeerreport.com. For the legend, Brian Snow, I'm Rick. Thanks for listening, everyone. (laughs) 